The years that Reverend Wood labored among the people of Chester were crucial and exciting ones. In the spring of 1859, a fugitive slave who had traveled for eight days on the road from Delaware arrived in Chester, New York. Welcome to Balancing Life's Issues, the podcast. Today we are wrapping up Black History Month with a call to action. Reach out to your community. But why? Well, if there's anything I've learned this month, it's that learning about one another can be challenging, at first. I was nervous going into many of these conversations because I was afraid of saying the wrong thing or offending a colleague. But that's the point. We have to be able to navigate difficult conversations so we can learn from one another, so we can empathize, so we can help one another. Black History Month is about celebrating our shared history as Americans, and the resilience of Black Americans through adversity is worth celebrating, not removing instead. But you have to make an effort to move in a vulnerable direction of curiosity, because you might not like what you find out about yourself. And for those of us who don't have access to the experts at BLI that I've had the pleasure of learning from this month, start with your community and its historical society. Because for me, it all started with a photo. When my wife and I moved to Chester, New York in the summer of 2020, we never thought that almost four years later, we would own the home we were renting and have an eight-month-old who literally learned how to crawl last night. We assumed this was just a stepping stone to wherever we would end up post-pandemic. But we fell in love with the community. And it was through the home buying process that we discovered that our house was built in 1842. So as a Christmas gift for my wife, I reached out to the local historical society in hopes that there was a photo I could frame from like the 60s or 70s. But what I got back from Clifton via email was a whole file on our home. So I see a bunch of children, and it looks like this is from a long time ago. That's Greg, multimedia specialist at Balancing Life's Issues, describing this photo of our home from the 1840s when it used to be a school. Right. This is probably like the entire elementary school. Yeah, of of (laughs) the town, right? And it's like not that many. It's probably what, like 20 children? Yeah. And it's girls and boys. Um, A lot of white children, but it does look like there are two. Yeah, two, maybe three children of color. The more I look at it, the more actually children of color that I see. In New York State, where we live, slavery was not abolished until March 31, 1817, setting July 4, 1827 as the date of final emancipation and making New York the first state to pass a law for the total abolition of legal slavery. So as I look at this photo of my home that was built as a school 25 years after emancipation in New York, it's no surprise there are children of color. Maybe some of them are first-generation children of former slaves. And as I shared this photo around town to locals that we had become friends with, they in turn shared the widely known rumor that Chester, New York was part of the Underground Railroad. Little did I know that for a time, the Underground Railroad station in Chester was only steps from my front door. Hi, Clifton. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good. Leslie Smith. Hi, Leslie. I had to find out what else Clifton knew about the black American history of Chester, and it was to no surprise that he was happy to tell me what he knew. So I met him at his house. So is this the Historical Society? And you know you're in the right place when you think you're at the Chester Historical Society, but you're actually at the historian's home. 
Well, my name is Cliff Patrick. I'm the town of Chester historian, and I was uh, appointed in 2003. And his wife, and clearly partner in crime. Uh, Leslie Smith, and I was president of the Chester Historical Society, I'm going to say 1994 and 1995. And as I sat down, there were piles of papers and photos that Clifton had clearly spent hours poring over concerning the black history of Chester, all of which was so fascinating. The most relevant, though, to me were the stories of where I find myself buying farm-fresh produce and the Underground Railroad station just steps from our home. This is the uh, document I mentioned to you. Uh, it's it's uh, from 1720 uh, when... Uh, Daniel Cramline mortgaged, basically mortgaged his, or sold or mortgaged his property, uh, which so this, was... this is the... This is uh, an indenture. He binds, uh, binds himself, his son, and his properties, which at the time was 3,066 acres, so it covered much of the northern part of the town of Chester. And this property you're talking about, this is the, where's Rose Orchard, is it? Yeah, Rose Orchard. And attached to this was a uh, memorandum, which uh, lists the chattel, and chattel is like personal property as opposed to uh, real property. And it uh, specifically lists uh, three slaves included, along with some cattle. Wow. And two of them are Indian, and one is colored uh, Negro. An amendment to these mortgaging, or however you want to put it, of the property included this personal list, right. which puts three human lives mm -hmm. uh, in the same level or as in the same cattle. piece of paper as cattle. Yeah. yeah. But this is, as far as we know, this is the only existing document that proves the evidence of Indian slaves in Orange County. Okay, great. So it's, you know, it's very unique at that level. So a place that my wife and I go often for the best produce and apple cider donuts around had slaves on its property years ago, way before the time of its current owners. But what about this Underground Railroad? With the Fugitive Slave Act that was passed about 1850, it became illegal to uh, harbor or assist escaped slaves. A lot of um, people didn't talk about breaking the law. Right, you wouldn't want to write down what you were doing illegally um, at that time. So mm -hmm. I guess there's probably not much documented in that way. Uh, less than um, other factors of our uh, social life. Sure. But um, first time I heard about um, Underground Railroad was uh, uh, a rumor that there was a tunnel underneath uh, uh, High Street which is the street we live on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Connecting uh, what's now known as 15, um, 15 High Street with the house across the street. I heard stories, uh, actually one from uh, Bill Derlin, who died a few years ago, but he, as a child, uh, he said that there was a uh, time he was a kid, there were all these little like hidey places in the house. Like, oh, fun, fun for a kid, but little oh, did yeah. he know. Yeah, behind closets. Uh, so this would be, okay, yeah, I, I see, I know, mm -hmm. I recognize the pillars. So this is the home at- Across the street. Ac across the street. During the 1850s, it was the home of the, it was the parsonage for the uh, Chester Presbyterian Church. Pastor at that time was uh, James Wood, I believe, Reverend James Wood. Yep. yep. And- uh, okay. Now well, this is Helen Predmore's history of the Presbyterian Church. Okay, got it. The years that Reverend Wood labored among the people of Chester were crucial and exciting ones. In the spring of 1859, a fugitive slave who had traveled for eight days on the road from Delaware arrived in Chester, New York. According to the Fugitive Slave Law, the people of Chester were duty-bound to take him into custody and surrender him to federal authorities to be returned to his master. However, a collection was taken for him. He was given a ticket on the Erie Railroad and sent on to Elmira, New York, 
where he was much farther on his journey to Canada. The curiosity and conjecture resulting from this incident in Chester was, all unknown to the unsuspecting public, very close to a very important station of the Underground Railroad, the terminus of a line running from Philadelphia through New Jersey and across the town of Warwick to Walton Lake and to Chester, New York. Mm. From Chester, two lines continued northward. The station in Chester was the Presbyterian Parsonage. And the, wow. and the station master was the Reverend James W. Wood. The children of the Reverend Wood, among the directions that their father gave them, were the following. That when they saw a certain carriage approaching, they should open the carriage house doors and allow it to drive into the building. Then they must close the doors and go into the house. The vehicle which had arrived was the means of transportation for the, for the fugitives from the depot at Walton Lake to Chester. As soon as the Negroes were securely concealed, the carriage would depart and go on its return to Walton Lake. When federal men and local spies became too busy in the neighborhood, the trip from Walton Lake and back would be made in the dark of night. Less known than the Presbyterian Parsonage at Chester as a station was the home of the Drake family. This house, referred to as Drake's Inn, was one of the very old homes in Chester. The late Bell Demarest told the old house had recesses in the walls where the slaves were secreted when the Drake family kept a station. You know, just as a historian, and maybe we'll leave it, we'll leave it here. Like, what what do you feel is the importance of of like educating ourselves on on these kinds of stories in, in our communities? Well, if you listen to the news, you tend to get little snippets and headlines. Mm -hmm. But the human condition, I think, is much more involved and complicated than just the headlines. Mm. There is so much prejudice, but what is needed is education. Right. So that even if you don't agree with a sure. lot of things, at least you know where people are coming from and right. you know the reason. I think it's a shame when people don't uh, don't have their minds open to listening to the other side because separating it from the hyperbole is, uh, sure, of is the hard part. Yeah, that, that does seem like the challenge right now. And mm -hmm. reach out to your local historian. Sure. See if they're willing to hang out and chat. <laughs> that was pretty easy. I sent you one email and one phone call and now I'm sitting in your home uh, and you're just mm -hmm. dropping all this on, on us. So. And it was at the end of our conversation that Leslie brought the work we do at BLI full circle. Community is just one of the five buckets you need to throw water in sometimes, as it helps create better work-life balance. When you said mental health and and uh, mental health and wellness, yeah, I didn't leave the house. I oh. didn't. I didn't drive. I didn't. I. I was afraid to. I was afraid to leave my bedroom to actually walk to go to the bathroom. Wow. That's how bad I was. In a, a historic... And I went to a historical society meeting. I, I joined and oh, I wow. and I got involved. And I think that probably led to getting back. You know, I think what you're doing, that sounds very important. Mm. I mean, when you said that, I was like, this is really, you're really onto something here. Yeah, yeah. If, if we can pour ourselves into our community, we learn more about each other, we learn more about the diversity, we learn more about the history, and then we're just, we're all just better people as a result. Big thank you to Clifton and Leslie of the Chester Historical Society and to all of the BLI trainers that helped produce content for us as we celebrated Black History Month. It's up to you to make an investment in your community today, and who knows, maybe you'll run into a couple just like Clifton and Leslie. 
Until next time, everyone, take care. This has been a production of Balancing Life's Issues with your hosts, Kai Sorensen and Wendy Walner. Produced by me, Kai. Rate, leave a review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen so you can get brand new episodes as they drop. Got an idea for the show? Email me, kai at balancinglifesissues.com. Anything to add, Miles? Yeah. <laughs>